My name is Jerome. I'm the, the lead pastor here. Thank you, Pastor Josh, for uh, honoring our seniors. I mean, it was just my daughter, but there's another senior, too. She's just not here at the moment, but uh, um, I just want to happily report that I did not cry at my daughter's graduation on Thursday, so thank you for praying for that. Uh, no, seriously, we have, uh, we just want to say a special welcome to you. If you are a guest with us today, uh, today is a fun day. It's going to be, a, uh, we have our summer kickoff cookout, which takes place immediately after service. Uh, we have uh, a number of people who brought their camping chairs or favorite picnic blanket. And uh, so after service, we'll have a food that's available out there. I am not in charge of that. So those, there'll be somebody who gives you directions on how to handle that. But uh, just excited about the opportunity to hang out together and to, to fellowship uh, and to eat. So please join us after service. If you don't have a camping chair, you can sit in the back of my pickup truck or someone else's pickup truck. All right. Just a couple of announcements. Last week I mentioned the need for workers, and you guys responded so overwhelmingly that Pastor Angel looked at me and said, you might not have to ask for more workers, Jerome. We, are, we, we got them all. And I said, well, that's great. I'm still going to ask because we, the more the merrier. I mean, sometimes if you're like me, you kind of like put off volunteering when someone gets up there like, guys, we're so desperate. We need somebody. I'm like, I'm not jumping on that sinking ship, right? <laughs> oh, this is the complete opposite situation. We, have, we are fully staffed. And so you coming on board means we're going to just have fun because the more the merrier. So I invite you to be a part. Thank you, church, for stepping up and responding as we reach out to our neighborhood and to this community, um, helping point Jesus, uh, point children to Jesus. So I think you should give it up for yourselves and your, yeah. In that, in that same vein, uh, next Saturday is our free garage sale. And so another opportunity to serve our community. Uh, there is a team that is in charge of putting that yard sale together. It's free, as in like everything we put out there, people come and they take it for free. Uh, but this is an opportunity for you to do some spring cleaning uh, uh, things that you would normally drop off at the Goodwill that they would sell, go ahead and bring it here Saturday morning at 8 a.m. Do not bring it earlier than that. But if you bring it at Saturday at 8, we'll make sure it gets out uh, to that free garage sale. And so uh, looking forward to that. Really excited about next Saturday. One other announcement would be if you did sign up for VBS, it's going to be... Um, there is a training next Sunday after service where we will once again feed you lunch and uh, prepare you for the week ahead. So would you pray with me as we, oh no, let me do this. If you're a guest, did I say thank you for being our guest? I did acknowledge you, but I didn't say that there is a card on your seat called the connection card. If you would take that card, uh, it should be in your seat settings over here, or maybe if you're in the middle section with the long aisle. Isn't it great to see like a row in church again? Oh. So, uh, but I knew this would happen. There's like this dead spot in the middle there. We'll put a $20 bill there next week, see if anyone sits in the middle. But uh, if you would take that connection card, and at the very end of the service, before the picnic, after communion, we have all, it's a big day today. As you walk out, there'll be ushers who are at the doors with baskets to receive our tithe and offering. But if you're a guest and you would fill it out with whatever information you're comfortable sharing, it'll give us a chance to say thank you for being our guest, to reach out and, and to really just say thank you. And that's uh, we'd love to just connect with you and, and be just really grateful that you're here. Thanks for worshiping with us. Now, let's get to the Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. What a privilege we have to gather together, take a look at your Word, turn our attention to you. Lord, I pray that in these next few moments as we do that, that your Spirit would illuminate 
make this thing come alive. It's already alive. It's just, may it come alive in us. May we hear your voice. May we respond. We thank you, Lord, for you've revealed yourself to us and what it means to follow after you. Help us to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Saturdays in my house, other than free garage sales and other things, which that's next Saturday, and I'll probably be at a baseball game, to be honest with you. I, I know I will be. I haven't looked at the schedule yet, but that's what I did yesterday. Uh, we have three kids playing baseball, and so Saturdays are a big baseball day, baseball game day. That's why I look beautiful and tan right now. That was an amen moment. Anyways. Yesterday, I'm, I, now I was a baseball player, so I like playing baseball, and I know how to play baseball. I don't really fancy myself a coach, because I don't like telling other people's kids what to do. So I kind of like, I will assist as a coach. So I'm an assistant in some form or capacity on all three kids' teams, but I'm pretty quiet, pretty reserved. But yesterday, because of the situation with uh, some coaches that are gone, and um, oftentimes I'll coach first base when we're batting uh, on Ben's team. So my Ben is nine years old, his nine and 10-year-old team. I'm coaching third base, which is a change for me, because third base, there's a whole lot more that comes with it than coaching first base. But I said, I'll, I'll bite the bullet and coach third. And I'm standing there, and now here's a pretty standard thing that coaches say, for base, base coaches say, uh, if there's less than two outs. Two outs, it's like run on everything, right? But if there's less than two outs, one out, no outs, it's on the ground, you know, you could run, but especially if it's a poor situation. If it's in the air, if it's in the air, just go partway, come right off the base, go halfway, wherever that's in the air. If it gets caught, you got to come back to the base. And if it drops, then you have to advance. So that's like the clear directions. We'd say that all the kids who are 9 and 10 years old because they're still learning the game. And then here I am on third. Bases are loaded. I have a guy on base. And the kid who comes up to bat is like the only kid, the only kid on the team who can drive the ball to the outfield. Like the, the outfield in this league is like just outside of the infield. This kid, I was like, so I told this kid the, the spiel, if, listen, if it's in the air, go halfway, go partway, come back to the base if he catches it, otherwise go forward. If it's on the ground, run. So I saw this kid in, a, in, in like a, a panicked moment, I like blurred out really quick. But if he's in the air, he hits in the back, and, I'm not, and I'm like really saying like, if he hits it deep, you need to come back. And you just like wait and if they catch it, then you advance. So it's like the complete opposite of what I've been saying to the kid. But I didn't really spit it out in time until the kid, guess what? Launches the ball in the outfield. And then I'm telling this kid, come back and stand on this base when he catches it. Then you go home. And he's looking at me like, are you kidding me? So he's doing one of these things. <laughs> he finally scores and kind of looks back at me like, oh, thanks a lot, coach. There's something about mixed messages that are not just confusing, but can be absolutely frustrating, right? Like anyone who's a teenage boy who has had a friend who's a girl knows what I'm talking about. And I know it sounds like I'm bitter or wounded. I am. Uh, there's something about mixed messages. And, and honestly, when we get to the text today, I was thinking, boy, this kind of sounds like a mixed message. Not just with the concern that it would be confusing or it would be frustrating, but it might actually negate what we've talked about for the last two weeks. We're in John chapter 15 in our series, uh, The Book of Glory, and we've talked about the vine and the branches and abiding in Christ, and Jesus says this in verse 5 of 15, you can do nothing without me. You can do nothing. And then he turns around and says, now do this. I have a commandment for you. Go and do this thing. 
Like, if you misapply that and you read that kind of like, I would read my Bible very often, like, this is something he's telling me to do here. This is something he's telling me to do here. Those are two different do things, not necessarily see the connection with them. Then you're thinking, well, this kind of negates what we've been talking about. You can do nothing and now go and do something. My fear is if we misapply it, then it would unravel what we've laid the groundwork for for the last two weeks when it comes to abiding. And we would consider the do of his commandment that we're about to read as a command to perform, to measure up to his example, to go and do as I have done. If you're curious where we're going, we're John chapter 15. You can turn your book, your Bible to John chapter 15. And we are in a series going through this upper discourse, this upper room, this farewell discourse, starting in John 13. Just as a reminder for those of you who are just joining us, we have been, we started actually in John chapter 1, and we've learned through this whole process that John, of the four gospel writers, writes his late in the first century. He writes it with decades after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension. He writes it decades into the history of the church. So he has the, 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 the unique perspective of being an eyewitness, but then decades of reflecting and saying, oh, when Jesus said this, we understood it like this, but really we understand it like this on this side of Calvary. His purpose in writing, he mentions in John chapter 20, it's he wants people to know who Jesus is. He says, I want you to, I'm writing this so that people will believe in Jesus and they have life in his name. And this Pharaoh discourse, Jesus in the upper room with his disciples, just hours before his arrest and trial and uh, crucifixion, is indeed giving instruction, here's how you have life in me. If you have your Bibles, read with me. John chapter 15, starting in verse 12. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friend if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. You are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and to produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. I'm going to be honest with you. When we, we spent the last two weeks, and I actually read that two weeks ago when we introduced the vine and the branches passage, and I was ready to move on to the very next passage. As a matter of fact, I told somebody, I had somebody meet with me in my office, and I said, the next passage we're going to go to is going to start off and I, I lied. So if you're here, forgive me, I lied. We haven't moved forward. We're going to kind of stay on this one passage. What we just read with Jesus saying, abide in me. And now he's saying, you can't do nothing without me. And now he's saying, now go and do these things. Go and love like me. Let's, let's break that down. Now here's the funny thing. When you, when you hear me read that, you're thinking, wait a minute, Jerome, I think I've heard this before. And if you've been with us from the beginning of the book of glory, you'll know that in John chapter 13, he says the same commandment. And he goes, a new commandment I give you. You remember this? This is just like five weeks ago this, this message was preached. So there's going to be some similar content here because what he's doing here is he's repeating the, the command he gave two chapters ago. Two chapters ago, if you recall, he washed the disciples' feet. There's the very first thing that takes place. They're in the upper room. They're gathered and he washes disciples' feet, takes the position of a servant. Then he looks at his disciples and says, you should love each other like I love you. And here, after talking about this relationship, a transform, tra the transformation that takes place, the intimacy that takes place between the vine and the branches, he says, love one another as I have loved you. 
Loving each other, as I mentioned, I'll repeat it again, it's, it's a simple concept, but it's pretty complex, right? A little child can understand what it means when you say love each other, but it's profound enough that those of us who are experienced, long-tenured Christians, we've done this for a very long time, we still struggle to fully comprehend and practice what Jesus did. I mentioned the last time when we first looked at this very command two chapters ago that there is a command to love in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 6.5 says, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Leviticus 19.18 says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against your fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus takes these two things and says, This sums up the law and the prophets. There's a new standard, though, that's different than the Old Testament command to love. It's the last part of that. Just as I have loved you. If you remember that verse, this is going to sound very familiar, but let me just remind you before we move on, because I think it's important to not just pretend like everyone remembered that from five weeks ago. Oftentimes when we translate Greek to English, we will we'll miss subtleties in the Greek. And so... The, when you look at a Greek word, you say, well, that's what that word is. It's boom. It, that's how we're going to translate it. That's, that's, that's called translation. But sometimes there's, there's a sense to that word that doesn't come across when we use the equivalent word in English. And that's kind of the case here. When, when, when we read just as I have loved you, really that just is pointing to um, a sense of since, not, well, I did this for you, therefore you do this. It's since I have loved you, go and love one another just as I, since I have loved you. And then we see that with the word, you should. Now, this is the word, if you grew up in church and you grew up with a feeling like the Christian life was a bunch of do's and don'ts and performance of like shame and guilt if you don't perform correctly, you're going to read should as like one of those, you should do this, you ought to do this, we're watching, and Jesus is going to zap you if you don't. That's how I read shoulds a lot in scripture, and I have to kind of like recalibrate myself. But the should here really is, in order, just as I have loved you, since I have loved you, in order that you might love one another. This is what that should, should be translated to. There's a cause and effect in this relationship. Jesus is saying his love for us will awaken within us the ability to love other people. His love is the cause for our love. That's what we talked about weeks ago. But even then, I referenced John 15 because I felt like that was only part of the story. His love is the cause for our love, but it's because his love flows in us, and then it flows through us. You may recall from when we first saw this command, when it was a new command in John 13, the whole big idea was that you can't love like Jesus without the love of Jesus. You can only love like Jesus by first allowing his love to flow in you and then through you. That was, that was the big idea. Let it flow in you and through you. Now stop and think about where we've been the last two weeks. Abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. That's what it looks like for love to flow in you and through you. How did Jesus show his love? We see that in verse 13, the very next verse. This is now it becomes unique from the, the, the John 13 occurrence. He says this, There is no greater love than, the one, than, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. He washed the feet of his disciples in John 13, but here he, he kind of like references, and once again, John, on, John, when he writes this as decades later, can look back and say, oh, I'm seeing fully what Jesus meant. But Jesus kind of like foreshadows 
his death on the cross. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. Now, if you read this, kind of out of context, if you read this and you're thinking, okay, love like Jesus loved and he laid down his life, it seems very impossible to love like Jesus loved because we don't really have the opportunity or maybe even the desire to die for one another. But what Jesus is saying there is there's a willingness, a self-sacrifice that we're willing to take that is up to and perhaps including dying for one another. But there's a sense where we, we die in how we live our life. We, if, you, if you'll allow me, we live dead to self. John writes this later in one of his letters, 1 John chapter 3, 16. He says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought to know, so we ought to give up our life for our brothers and sisters. Then verses 14 and 15. Now he said this in verse, in verse 13. Real love, someone who lays down his life for his friends. Well, who is Jesus' friends? Verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command. Now, without getting too sidetracked, there is some debate on like, is he talking specifically about the disciples there? He is in that moment, but that, that call of who are my friends or those who would obey him, it's, it's a universal call. I don't know how you define, either way you, you want to you do that. I don't know how you define uh, friendship, but usually obeying someone's commands is not like on the criteria for friendship for me. Like our North American, like cultural, like, you're my, Josh, you're my friend if you obey my commands. Doesn't seem very friendly, does it? Or is that like part of your deal? We can be friends as long as you obey me. Try that out. It doesn't really work. But Jesus is, is not speaking from, from, from our mindset. We're talking first century. We're talking um, a whole other part of the world, right? For us, when we hear obey, we're thinking servant or slave. But in verse 15, he actually qualifies why they are friends. Listen, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. They moved from slaves to friends, no longer slaves, but friends. Why? Because of the revelation they've received because that makes the difference. Obeying his commands and abiding to him are connected. Don't believe me? Look at the few verses before what we just read. John chapter 15, verse 9. Let's backtrack to the earlier text. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. So who's the initial person who's loving? Jesus, even as the Father has loved him. Remain in my love. When you obey my commands, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commands and remain in his love. Once again, the language of relationship, the vine and the branches. They have a revelation that makes them friends, which is not unprecedented in Scripture. Both Moses and Abraham more than anybody else around them, had, had the heart and mind of God. They were privileged in their position. And when you have the heart and mind of God, obedience doesn't seem like some obligation anymore. If you have the mind and heart of God, then obedience seems pretty obvious. And then in verse 16, he, he reminds them that he chose them. Once again, a relationship language. Just in case you get puffed up and you're thinking that you have this revelation, <laughs> I chose you. And I appointed you to do, to bear fruit. 
This command to love each other as Christ loves is a command that's set in relationship. Relationships woven through this whole upper room discourse, through all this book of glory, starting in verse in chapter 13, but certainly in chapter 15. And that makes sense when you consider the context where we find this. This is not a, hey, I'm the vine, you're the branches, abide in me, remain in me, in my love, and oh, by the way, on another topic, completely love one another. This thing is tied together. It flows together. Like the very verse that says, apart from me, you can do nothing, is not a problem. It's actually a clue to interpret this passage. You can't love like me apart from me. See, I fear, and I don't know everyone's church background here, but if you, if you hear the message of Jesus and you hear the, see the life of Jesus as an example and only an example, it's a high bar example, but it's an example that will crush you because we'll never measure it up. That's why we needed a Savior. We didn't need an example as much as we needed a substitute. Jesus is more than a good example, and yes, he sets the example, but he doesn't set the example and say, okay, now you try. He's the source for us to follow his lead. That's the language of vine and the branches, his life flowing through us. When I look at this passage, it'd be easy for me to preach, hey, go love people like Jesus did, because that's like literally what I preached a couple weeks ago. But in the context of the vine and the branches, this is, this is the, the one point I want you to get. The command to love, Jesus' command to love, is not a call to perform. It's a call to abide. Because let's be honest, when we think of the command to love and we think about those people that are hard to love, it feels like it's a call to perform. How can I possibly... Like, I love the phrase, and I don't love the phrase. I used to say this phrase. Like, I love them, but, oh no. You don't have to like them, but you have to love them. Like, I think God, I think Jesus really wants more for us than that. Oh, I don't like them. But Jesus says, I gotta love them. I don't think that's Christ's life flowing through us. Could you imagine Jesus being like, yeah, I know. I don't like them either. But I gotta love them. Different, it's different in the context of abiding. So you can't love like Jesus unless you're living in Jesus. Loving like Jesus is not about mimicking him. It's about the vine and the life of the vine flowing through the branch. Remember, the fruit that we produce as the branch is what? The fruit of the vine. Not the fruit of the branch. Your love is really his love flowing through you. John later, once again in 1 John, writes this, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Not go dig deep down and figure it out and find some love. No, it flows from him. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 looks at love as this is the the mark of spiritual maturity. 
I grew up kind of thinking that the people who were spiritually mature were the ones who really knew the Bible well or were really good at doing church stuff. No matter if they walked in love or not. But Paul's like, no, no, no. And in the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's, it's not your spiritual gifts that make you mature. It's your love that makes you mature because you're mature. I don't know what mature is. It's your love that makes you mature because love is related to abiding in him. For Paul, spiritual maturity was measured in love because love was the evidence of the intimate, transformational relationship with Jesus that comes with abiding in him. Jesus' command to love is not a call to perform. It's a call to abide. So here's what I want you to do to take away from this, because I, yeah, this is a couple, of, a couple of so what, now what. If that's true, Jesus' command is to love Jesus' command to love is not, to, not a call to reform, but a call to abide, then now what? If you're trying to manufacture love, if you're trying to dig down deep, I don't like them, but I gotta love them, stop it. I know it's easier said than done, but let his love flow through you. And I've, I've said this before, this has been a challenge before. His love is beyond what we can manufacture. Just think about it. His love doesn't depend on the recipient of that love. Because if it did, we would be in trouble. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much is our love really dependent upon the recipient? He does not love the people who are easy to love, but he chose the unlovely and the unlovable. He chose us. Second thing seems like a very obvious takeaway. I almost hesitate to say it, but abide in Christ. I don't want to re-preach the last two messages, but I will steal an illustration that I gave the first time we looked at this commandment. You remember the illustration about the magnets? That a piece of steel is not magnetic in its natural state, but it can be modified to be so. If you take a magnet and you apply it to that steel, something happens that science nerds know about. I'm not calling you a nerd. I'm saying you're smart. Something happens with, between those two pieces, the, the steel and the magnet, where the piece of steel becomes magnetized. It becomes itself a magnet. That's the picture of an abiding relationship and the transformation that takes place. Abide in Christ, because I guarantee you, that person you don't like, that you have to love, it's a whole lot easier to love when you let Christ love through you, because you're abiding in him. The third thing is this, do the right thing, even if your heart isn't there. Now, I know this is going to sound counter to what I just said. Because what I said was like, let your heart be transformed, let the life of Christ flow through you, and then you will love the way you're supposed to love. But listen, I'm idealistic. I'm an idealist. I know like that's the way it's supposed to be. That's what I've been talking about for the last 20 minutes. But the truth of the matter is, I'm learning to be realistic. We're not going to always abide the way we should. We're not going to always come across those moments where the love of Christ is just flowing through us. But in those moments when you know that loving them is the right thing to do, and it feels like, well, I guess the only way I'm going to do it is to manufacture it. Don't manufacture it. Just do it because it's the right thing to do. Sometimes we need to do the right thing even if our heart isn't there. Why is that? 
because we can't trust our hearts. Think about what the prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can really understand it? Man, if we're only moved to do something when our heart is there, we're in trouble because you really can't trust your heart. We got to lead our heart. My senior pastor told me once when I was having this conversation about we're going to appeal to people's hearts and then they'll live from there. They're not going to do a bunch of to-do lists. Or, you know, He said, you know what, Jerome? He appreciated me that in my young idealisticness. He says, if I only acted the way that my heart wanted me to act, then I would be dead or in jail. This is like my hero of the faith who's admitting to be, I don't know, a murderer and a thief on the inside. That's it's good for me. We often think that obedience comes after our heart has fully understood or fully believed, but sometimes obedience leads our heart to understanding and belief. If you don't believe me, think about it. When you began to, to, to tithe or give to missions, you did so because the Bible says so, and maybe your heart didn't, wasn't there at the beginning, but your heart catches up and you begin to realize and see and understand. When you offer forgiveness because you know it's the right thing to do for that person and for you, sometimes our heart has to follow our actions. When you serve, when you could be doing anything else, sometimes our heart follows. When you go to the dentist, sometimes our heart follows. I don't fully understand, but I'm going to do it because I'm supposed to. But our heart does follow. Finally, I would say this, be responsible for you. This is uh, the, the mantra at our house. You've heard me say this before. Uh, my, my son is smiling ear to ear because he knows we're, that he's about to be used as an illustration. But it's a constant thing. Like, hey, you're, you're in charge of you. You're not the dad. You're not the mom. Be in charge of you. You spend a whole lot of time worrying about what everyone else is doing or how people have treated you. You can't help what other people do. You could only be in charge of you how you act and how you respond. And sometimes doing the loving thing means you let things go. Proverbs 10, 12 says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. And sometimes doing the loving thing is actually having a difficult conversation. But you're in charge of you. Abide in him, let his love flow through you. But when it comes to this idea of taking care of only you, no matter what the other person may do or think, when it comes to showing love, let me ask and challenge you. Well, I don't know if I need to challenge you because I imagine there are people in this room who are already thinking of a certain relationship. And you're shaking your head, yeah. I won't ask you to raise your hand or point to that person in the room. But you're already thinking about a relationship or a situation or circumstance where choosing love doesn't seem like the easiest thing. And it's like, Lord, I, I, can't, I don't have what it takes. I reckon I'll try letting your love flow through me. What does that look like? I believe he will speak to your heart and guide you to the right step, whether it's picking up a phone or just approaching them over hot dogs and hamburgers in the church parking lot and say, I'm sorry, just kind of putting it out there in case you need that. Listen, if you're not a Christian today, I know this whole message, I didn't even, I didn't even, I normally would be like, hey, we're so glad you're here. 
I, I haven't even, I've been so busy talking to Christians because perhaps to your surprise or perhaps delight, we don't have it all together. You thought maybe we did or that you thought that maybe we thought we did. We definitely don't. The message of Jesus is we could not, but he did. We could not, but he did, and we can because and through him. That's the whole message of this message. Just a real quick disclaimer, not disclaimer, a little bit of a warning. Take a peek at the next few verses. Next week's sermon is going to be fun. But let me give you a clue about next week's message. I, I promise you, go home and read it this week and be like, oh, Jerome. Because we've looked at John chapter 15, the very first begin, the beginning of the, the call to abide in him. Now we've looked at what it looks like to have a relationship with one another as an abiding relationship. But the next section is our relationship with the world. It's not nearly as fun as this message. Not nearly as easy. Let me close with this. Amy Carmichael was a Christian missionary in India a long time ago. She spent 55 years there and never came home. She worked amongst women and girls who were forced into temple prostitution. And she wrote while she was there, quite a bit actually, she has a, a little pamphlet, this is 100 years ago, called If. And it recounts a night that she wrestled with the Lord regarding whether or not she really loved like Christ. She really loved like Christ loved us. She wrote this. Let me read it to you. Then we'll move to communion because this is really what it's about. If I belittle those who I'm called to serve, talk of their weak points in contrast, perhaps with what I think of as my strong points, if I adopt a... If I adopt a superior attitude, forgetting who made thee to differ, and that thou, and what thou, oh, excuse me, I told you it was hundred years ago, and what, and what hast thou that thou hast not received, then I would know nothing of Calvary's love. If I take offense easily, if I'm content to continue in a cool unfriendliness, though a friendship be possible, then I know nothing of Calvary love. If I feel bitterly towards those who condemn me, as it seems to me unjustly, forgetting that if they knew me as I know myself, they would condemn me much more than I know nothing of Calvary love. With those words, we're going to receive communion today. <laughs>